0: Hey
1: everybody, Aaron here, uh, with a belated interview from one Tom Wilson. He was a editor at large on uh Mad Men. Uh, which has been off the air for about a year and a half now. And I want to apologize to Tom and everybody who was expecting this interview. Uh, this was going to be one of the features that we did when we went to our through our uh, rewatch or our retrospective of Mad Men, which never actually came to fruition. And uh, it just kind of sat on our hard drives for a while. And um, unfortunately, I don't think we will be revisiting Mad Men, uh, the series, anytime soon, uh, just because our schedule doesn't allow it. Um, but I did want to get out this interview because a lot of people have known that we recorded it and they've been, uh, I'll say clamoring for it, but asking politely for it. And uh, we just recently dusted it off the archives and uh, I put this bumper in front of it and uh, wanted to get it in your guys' hands. So if you are interested in the thoughts of uh, someone who worked with Matthew Weiner um, on the series and got some behind-the-scenes details on editing and uh, the work he did on Mad Men and beyond. Uh, please enjoy this interview. And again, Tom, I'm really sorry it's taken me this long to get it out and appreciate the time you gave us so long ago. Without further ado, here's Tom. <laughs> Joining us is Tom Wilson. Uh, he is uh, worked as an editor on Mad Men. In fact, you worked, uh, I think, 26 episodes or 24 episodes you've got, you've got credited for. 25, including the finale, Person to Person, uh, which we talked a lot about in the last uh, week or two uh also another fan fr- favorite which we have got a lot of questions about the crash the the uh-huh. the crazy druggy episode uh some personal favorites of mine uh, lady lazarus um the suitcase that's like one of the, the the critical darlings um a lot of stuff my old kentucky home is that the one that roger did blackface in that
2: is the blackface episode
1: yeah uh so
2: you you've been at it's the- also the one where peggy first smokes pot
1: there i'm i'm peggy olson and i want to smoke marijuana yeah uh, great, great moments that you've been a part of. Um, I, I guess I think m- editing is kind of a mysterious part of the Hollywood process. And I know I've, I've listened to a lot of Kelly Dixon's podcast for Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Um, and they talk kind of like in, in an inside ball, like some of the challenges they have. And I, I don't know that it comes across to the. To the average listener, but could you describe roughly what it is that you do as a job of an editor kind of in a normal gig, what part of the process you come in, what you start off to work with and and that kind of deal?
2: sure well on uh, on any gig, um, I come on pretty much right away the the the, for the second day that they are shooting is the first day that I have footage to start cutting really Wow, I try to keep up with uh, we call it keeping up with camera. <laughs> that uh you know i i get the first days dailies on day two and by the end of day two i try to have an assembly of scenes so that i can stay on top of things as we shoot because the tv production schedule is incredibly intense there's oh, sure, just sure. a handful of days per episode to shoot the whole thing and then you'll the director only has a few days to work with me and uh, get his director's cut assembled and then we have to you know send it off to the studio and the network and get notes back from those guys and it depends on which show and uh, what our air dates are, but sometimes shows don't have a lot of time to get something finished because it's got to get on the air.
1: Everyone we talked to uh, has always said that same thing, like just a crushing schedule that TV has. Um, and I'm, you're already blowing my mind because I guess I I figured that they would take all this footage and they'd have an intern go through and catalog it and then you would get it like wrapped up in a bow and then you would work on it from there. But you're actually you're getting them as soon as, as, as quickly as they're filming them.
2: Yes. Uh, As soon as the footage is ready, I start working on it because, you know, you have to stay on top of um, uh, particular locations. They may be be filming somewhere that they only have three days that they're allowed to be there. And uh, if they miss something or there's a problem with the footage or something goes wrong or they need extra coverage on someone that they just didn't have time to get the first day, um, if they need to go back, they need to know. And so I've got to already be working on stuff to find out what's missing and whether or not they can tear down a set because maybe it's in a place where they have to build another set. Uh, so um, it's important to stay on top of things as they're being shot.
1: Now, now, how do you know what's missing? Like, I'm, I'm sure you have the script, right? So are are you like, um, I, I don't have this particular part of the scene or I don't have this line of dialogue? Is there something is sometimes more subtle than that?
2: Uh, Well, usually it's um, during this part of the scene, I want to know what this character is experiencing and I don't have any coverage on that character uh, during that part of the scene. Or sometimes it's just as simple as a technical problem. Hey, look, the sound dropped out on this coverage, so Mm -hmm. you got to go back and reshoot that particular setup. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's a lot of different things that go into uh, what we need in a scene.
1: So when you're assembling this footage... Do you have like uh, you know you got you got the video you got the dialogue? Do you have any music like how are you you know and, and some of these things where like you know music is a big part and I think Mad Men uh, music is a big part. Uh, do you what do you what do you what do you do to keep like a tempo going or anything like that or is that the music guy's problem?
2: Um, well, it, we do put in some temp music. And it depends on uh, what the scene is. Typically music is sort of the last thing done, but there are times where a scene may have been written with a particular song in mind. So I may have that right from the get-go. I may have the song before I even have the footage. Um, And sometimes uh, uh, I have a lot of influence uh, on the uh, music where I I might temp in something that the showrunner really loves and we end up using that. And then sometimes uh, I just turn it over to the composer and, the composer will run with it. It really depends on, uh, on each story and each scene. It's all, it's all different, but typically music is pretty far down downstream during the process.
1: All right. Now, do you, what, what all other shows or movie projects or whatever have you worked You know, it doesn't have to be an exhaustive list, but <laughs> kind of give us an idea of what your, what your resume looks like.
2: Um well I I started Season 1 on Mad Men as an assistant editor and uh Matthew was the guy that uh, gave me the bump up to the editing chair during mm-hmm. the middle of season 2. And before that I'd worked as an assistant on HBO's Rome mm-hmm. and um I worked on an assistant as an assistant on the show Castle for its first season. Right on. And as an editor I've also cut a couple of seasons of the USA's White Collar. I'm currently doing uh Manhattan um with Thomas Schlamme for WGN. And uh, in right after Mad Men, I did a movie with Anna Kendrick and Sam Rockwell and Tim Roth. It's called Mr. Right. It's sort of a romantic comedy with the uh, the the male lead, in it is a you know an assassin with guys after him, sort of thing.
1: <laughs> and that hasn't dropped yet. Like I, I think that was that coming out later. Died. We're
2: still working on that one, getting that finished up. All right, and uh, hopefully, hopefully in September, maybe we'll show it at the Toronto Film Festival. We'll see.
1: Do you find that like? all of the jobs that you do are kind of more the same than they are different? Are there differences? And if so, how was Mad Men different from the average gig?
2: Uh, Well, they, uh, yeah, they are all different. And Mad Men was definitely a different gig than anything else, Um, in part because of the way it is um, shot and just the, uh, the approach that Matt Weiner likes to take. Uh, Whereas with him, everything is character first. It always starts with a character. So um, uh, a good example is, um, let's say, a regular scene in a TV show or a movie. I mean, it's all over the place. It's very common to start on some sort of establishing shot of a space. And, you know, the camera kind of pans around a room and lands on a character. And then the character starts talking. Whereas um, Matt Weiner always wants to start with the character. Let us know... um, whose experience this scene's point of view is coming from before we kind of reveal where they are. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a, a beat in uh, season two, I think, where Pete goes into a department store and the director had set up a giant shot, you know, going all around the store and lands on Pete walking into a door. And Matt wanted to start the scene with Pete walking in the door and then revealing the store and space he's in. Because with him... It was always character first Mm -hmm. uh, to a, to a degree that it was beyond what uh, uh, other people tend to do.
1: So now is that your job then to, to assemble the footage in the way that that Matt wanted, or did the uh, director have to go back and, and and do some reshoots to make that work or?
2: Oh, it's, it is my job to do it the way that Matthew would want it and to work with the director and make sure that the director was, you know, not setting himself up to fail because uh, ultimately His job was to please Matthew and direct the the show the way that Matthew envisioned it. So, um, yes, part of my job was to sort of help help a guide, uh, so to speak, uh, you know, offer advice on how Matt likes things to be done.
1: Is there a pretty big difference between how directors approach material and how much material you get from directors? Like, is there some directors that give you like 17 versions of every shot? And there's some that are kind of like more. I mean, I don't want to use it in a pejorative way but like the ed wood classic like we get, we get we get this, this you know action cut that's it put it in the can um are they kind of like all over the map or is 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 you know and, and which do you prefer do you like to have more coverage and less or do you ever feel like you're drowning in footage
2: there are you well, know, there have definitely been times where i felt like i was drowning in footage but um you know it really it it really depends on the scene and uh a good director will do what he or she feels is necessary for the scene, whether that's a lot of coverage or a little. And I, I don't like to uh, pin, pin a, a particular style on, on any one director or not, because the, a, a good director will adapt to what's needed.
1: Mm. Do you feel comfortable talking about Matt's style?
2: I'm sure. Yeah, Matt so, Stiles uh, uh, is certainly very unique. He, he uh, in in every respect, and the way he liked things performed, where he liked to be able to uh, um, give enough time to be around and see people as they speak. The to the way it's shot, he likes the camera to remain relatively still and not right. make us aware that we are looking through a lens at anything. He wants right. it to do. Uh, to he wants the, the camera to move only when it's really motivated whereas most television and film uh the camera just kind of does what it's going to do and um sometimes it may float around it may kind of have a little bit of movement and they call it letting it breathe where matt would like it to be good and still he doesn't want anything to tell him he's looking through a camera uh for him it was all about characters and and also um uh, uh along the lines with camera work whereas uh A lot of people will, as someone walks into a room and across a room, will like to be on the doorway and let them walk into it and follow them as they walk across the room to talk to someone else where Matt would like to have uh, two separate shots, one on the doorway and one on where they're going to land and let them walk out of one frame and into another. And that way he could control in the editing room the amount of time it takes them to cross a space, say. Mm -hmm. So if we need to seem to move a little bit faster well then we can kind of fake how long it takes someone to get across and uh have more control that way
1: from a as a layman i would think that like matthew's footage would be like i i I, i'm trying to think how to phrase this like it may be the easiest to edit because you'd think the man knows in his head what he wants and when he directs an episode he's getting the footage that looks like that. So then it's just a matter of putting it together and, you know, kind of spite. Is that, is that a fair characterization or, or does he sometimes change his mind when he gets in the booth with you?
2: Well, it's, it's always a process of discovery in in every phase, uh, whether it is uh, during the writing, whether he knows what he, he thinks, he knows what he wants a story to be. And someone on his writing staff comes up with something, something that really changes his perspective on how he was thinking on something, or whether it's an actor bringing, a particular uh, uh, intonation to a line reading that he never really expected, or if it's finding something in the in the editing room that um, that he never really expected. You know, Allison Brie, who plays Trudy Campbell, sure. who's really good at doing little things that uh, that he never asked her to do, but that he'd see it in the cutting room and just fall in love with. You know, like in uh, uh, in my old Kentucky home, season three, where they're all at the uh, Kentucky Derby party. Uh, right. Allison kept doing this thing. Where uh, during a scene when uh, Pete and Trudy are talking to Don and Peggy, or Don Don, not Don and Peggy, Don and Betty, and Betty's pregnant, uh, and uh, Pete and Trudy had been having trouble conceiving, where Mm -hmm. she was just giving little, you know, worried glances towards Betty's uh, bulging stomach, and he never asked her to do that, but just absolutely loved it. It was just such a great little character thing. So we made sure to get that in the show.
1: So we talked about kind of you, uh, you know, your, your path as an editor, I was wondering how you actually got your your start um, in editing, like, you know, did you go to like film school with that particular goal in mind? Or is that just kind of where where you're at now? Or, and, and what are you Are you wanting to do some directing yourself? What, what's your kind of relationship with the Hollywood process and where, where you want to be?
2: Sure. Well, I went to film school uh, just being in love with filmmaking and storytelling and thinking I wanted to direct stuff, which I think a lot of people do. And I didn't really know a whole lot about uh, how the sausage got made. Um, and during film school is where I really kind of fell in love with editing and the whole editorial process. The idea that that so much work is done shooting so much footage and all of that footage is just little snippets. It's little uh, particular angles on on moments and, um, that the, the real movie, the real TV show is all put together in the editing room because that's where you decide what your audience is going to see right. and you know, how, what's going to be on screen, how long it's going to be on screen, what it is superimposed with, uh, what comes before it, what comes after it, that all that, you know, is, is what affects how people respond to it. And so, um, I, I look at everything that comes before me and which is a ton of hard work. Don't get me wrong. Uh, But it's it's people creating raw materials for me to get started with.
1: How many hours on average does it take to uh, take something from the first time you get the dailies to where you've got the final cut?
2: Well, that's that's where the schedule on television is really tricky. Um, We typically have, I think, on Mad Men, we had eight or nine nine days to shoot an episode. Uh, a lot of television shows only have seven days. Um, once shooting is done, the editor has three days to assemble everything and put it together, uh, which includes adding full sound design and, uh, and temp score as well, wow. whatever music we need. And then after those three days, the director comes in for four days. They have their opportunity to um, put their own stamp on it. And um, then they're gone. And it's all about working with the producer and getting feedback from the studio and the network after that, which can be as short as just a handful of days or um, on Mad Men at times, it would, it would last several weeks. I think the longest amount of time I ever had between the director leaving and locking an episode was probably about six weeks. Wow. Um, Sometimes it would just be a whole lot of, uh, a whole lot of work and finding all those, those little things, you know, Mad Men was a little different than a lot of gigs because it's less about the things that happen and more about the, more about how people respond to the things that happen sure. and how it affects them. So, um, you know, uh, no matter what the dialogue in a scene is, it's the subtext that was the most important thing in Mad Men. And sometimes carving that out and really getting that, that emotional uh, connection just the way that it is most effective takes a lot of work. You know, it's a lot of trial and error sometimes.
1: How did you come to be on Mad Men? You started with an assistant editor, and I'd like to maybe briefly ask how. What's the difference between assistant editor versus an editor, like you know the duties and responsibilities? But but how did mm-hmm. you get started on Mad Men, and how did you first meet Matthew Matthew Weiner? Talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure. Well, I I was on the show before I ever met Matt, and um, I came onto it from HBO's Rome. Rome and uh, The Sopranos were both finishing up at about the same time. Mm-hmm. Mm. And Matthew and his producing partner, Scott Hornbacher, had both been on Sopranos. So they were crewing up with people they knew mm. and, uh, and were associated with. And so they just kind of uh, took up as many people from the Sopranos and from Rome as they could. And uh, that's where, that's how I got onto it. And um, I, I mean, I first met Matthew, I think, the first time he came in to the editing room to, uh, to work on an episode with the editor I was working with. Do you? Um... Oh, oh, and I'm sorry. You also asked me what's the difference oh, between yes, an editor yes. and assistant editor. Yes. Um, well, an, an editor basically is responsible for um, the 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 storytelling. If, if it involves storytelling, how is the the how's the picture put together? How what does it sound like? Um, that that's the editor's responsibility. And then basically everything else in uh, the editorial rooms um, is is taken care of by the assistant in terms of getting the dailies in, making sure that they're all in sync and that they're organized in the bins you know every every scene is um, is shot from a lot of different angles and there's a lot of different takes and there's typically for each take two cameras rolling at once so those two different uh, uh, cameras will the, the footage from those two cameras will get sunk up. Uh, and linked together by the assistant editor so that the editor can sit down and say, all right, I've got this bit, this moment in this performance from this angle, or I can switch it to another angle, uh, which just gives us more to work with. Mm-hmm. And um, you may have a-, a ton of different footage and different angles per scene, and it's the assistant's job to make sure that that's all organized and kept track of. And, uh, and typically the assistant is also heavily involved in the sound design, where uh, I might cut a scene together and then pass it off to my assistant to make sure it sounds like it's in the real world and not on a soundstage somewhere. And uh, they oftentimes do a lot of work on the temp score and sourcing stuff for me. And then I would give them feedback uh, on that. And and while I'm continuing to cut the, uh, the the new footage and work on the content of the scene, um, the content of the storytelling and the assistant editor takes care of virtually everything else and, and interfaces with the producers and and uh, all of the downstream people, like the people that do our uh, our final full res online, and talking to our music supervisors and our composer and all that stuff. And they sort of take care of. Contacting the outside world, so the editor can just stay in their cave and hunker mm-hmm. down over their footage and worry about telling the story.
1: Okay. okay. Now You, you mentioned <laughs> that the like one of the final processes, like the the network or the studio sure. getting like giving you guys notes, and I'm thinking like you know Mad Men's got such a singular look and voice and story like did you get a lot of notes on mad men as far as and, and did any of those like did anything come of that or was it mostly like matt matt would be like yeah 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 we got it and then you guys do whatever you want well you're right
2: mad men was singular in its point of view because it was all matthews and right from the beginning uh matthew had final cut on everything that was they, my next question they, they, yeah. that they gave that to him early on because uh because of his experience and his great work on sopranos and because the AMC didn't have a show, so they just wanted to put their faith into someone they thought knew what they were doing, and uh, and it really paid off. And um, they they would give their input, but they were also always incredibly respectful of what Matt wanted to do. And uh, they you know they they might offer suggestions, and at times it would be things that uh, that he had overlooked and he hadn't really thought about, and at times there were things that he had thought about and decided against already. Um, so they, uh, they, yes, they had input. They were always involved in the process, but it was ultimately Matt's point of view. And, and that was top to bottom on the show. I mean, every costume on the show, every prop, sure. uh, everything sure. uh, was run through Matt Weiner. And um, it, he was uh, a, a dynamo. I mean, it's incredible the fact that he was able to keep all of those balls in the air at the same time. What, I mean, what was his workload like on an average week? Was he, like, putting in, d-
1: oh, during the season, insane. like, 70, 80 hours? Or?
2: I swear the guy would sleep just a few hours a night while wow. we were shooting. He was constantly writing and working with the, his writing staff, constantly, you know, having people from the prop department and uh, the production design department come by and run things by him. Um, and constantly, you know, being asked to drop in and check out a cut in the editing room. Because there's three editors working. Um, we we would rotate we rotate episodes, so uh, they uh, can keep shooting you know I get all the footage and then I have a few days to work on something and the director comes in, but all during that time, production is continuing so they 're shooting the next episode and the episode after that so you you have to have several editors in rotation so at any given time you know Matt might have three different shows he would have to go in and look at look at and give notes out and um, wow. uh, uh, and then on top of that all the press you know the bigger the show got the more sure. the, the more requests he had to do interviews and make appearances and do all kinds of stuff so um, I mean he was constantly being pulled in a hundred different directions at once and uh, I, I think rarely, ever slept in fact there were times where i would be in a session with him and turn around and he would just be
1: asleep (laughs) that's why it's like you're in a dark room you're looking at
2: laps on the sofa in my office and uh and we wouldn't even know it I'd go all right we have to wake him up and say so when did you lose consciousness how far (laughs) back do i need to go
1: what was it like to work with him is he is he because it's he sounds like he's got a lot of stress in his life is he is he funny is he kind of like quiet is he intense is he what what's what's it like
2: all of those things he, he can be very intense he's he's incredibly passionate about his project and his show i mean that thing was his baby sure and sure. Uh, and i think he was super hard on himself and harder on himself than anyone else because he knew it was all running through him so if there was a problem or if he felt like something wasn't as good as it should be uh, he always blamed himself first before he blamed anyone else and he's um uh uh, really an amazing guy he's a fantastic storyteller he's so talented he's got this uncanny ability to just kind of uh break a person down i don't mean break them down but you know figure out what's going on with a person and Mm -hmm. um and and what's bothering them or what's running through their head you know you can someone walk in and be like oh yeah that guy's that guy's having an argument with his wife at home. And sure enough, that person was, you know, having a giant argument with their wife at home. Um, he's just very adept at human understanding, human behavior and motivations. And uh, which of course makes him an amazing writer and a great storyteller. He
1: does seem really, you know, <laughs> perceptive when it comes to human relationships. Cause that's what I always thought that Madman right. pivoted around. It wasn't ever the action or what, although there was some notable, you know, kind of amazing things, but it's also about, it's all about interpersonal relationships.
2: Yes. And moments in between people, you know, uh, uh there was so much work done on every single script. Uh, I, there, I mean, there, the scripts for Mad Men were like little pieces of literature. You know, they're not written like a normal television script. They're not broken down into acts. They're just one Long continuous story, and then when when we were done putting everything together, that's when we we would decide. All right, where are the least painful places to put a commercial break? Mm. So um, the the way the show was was written was unique. It was written more like a HBO show than a, a show that's made for a a, a commercial broadcast.
0: Sure, and
2: sure. Um, uh, <clears throat> it's um, I mean. Yeah, I'm sorry. What was the question? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know what? I don't even remember. Uh let let's let let me know. Uh, there's something I because we're kind of touching on something that I've been curious about. Do you watch Mad Men as a fan? Like are, I do. Yeah. Is is does your work as an editor ever get in the way of that like It does. I imagine, like, by the time you've seen an episode... I mean, how many times do you think you've seen an episode? Or, like, let's say 100% of an episode. How many times have you seen that before it gets to the TV?
2: Oh, oh, gosh, countless times. Like 20, 30 more? Probably somewhere between 20, 30, yeah.
1: So... By I mean, time... it depends on
2: how many versions of things I am uh, I end up having to make, but um, how, yeah, when, a, a lot of them.
1: When you're working on your episode, how much do you know about what's going on in the episodes that you're not working on?
2: Um, well, one thing where Mad Men was really great uh-huh. is all of us were kept up to date with everything going on with okay. all of the stories at all times because they were so involved. So I knew what was happening in, in all the episodes and, I would usually be able to watch all the episodes too as they were being made. Um, although this final season I purposefully avoided watching a lot of them while working, just so I could have that experience of sitting down when they aired and watching them along with the rest of the world.
1: Are you able to sit back and watch episodes that you personally worked on and enjoy them? Or are you able to do that like when they air, or do you need like a year or two to get like distance to be like, oh yeah, that suitcase episode is a hell of an episode?
2: Right. Uh, You know, it it depends. There are some that right away I can sit down and appreciate and there are some that, yeah, just take years to to, uh, be able to just separate myself from, oh, I remember all of the minutia of what went into making that and all the trouble I had building that scene. Oh, yeah, I still really wish I had an angle for that moment that showed me what that character was feeling right then and there. Um, some some episodes really really kind of linger with me, and then some I'm able to just move far enough away from that I can sit down and watch them, and and I feel like I'm uh, seeing something for the first time, and that that's always an amazing thing. Or I can sit back and go, oh yeah, I was so worried about that, but now I'm watching it, and I don't know what the hell I was thinking. That's great, I love it.
1: <laughs> uh, out of all the episodes you've personally worked on, out of those subset those those 25 episodes, I think. Uh, what's your favorite
2: well that of course is a tough pick since i love them all i love the show and uh, i'm very proud of everything i've done on that show but probably my personal favorite for a lot of reasons is signal 30 in season five episode 505
1: that's the one that, that is- uh, pete perves on the high school girl right
2: Yes, and he gets okay. beat up by Lane Price. Oh, yeah, right. Okay. Know, just fight in the, in the uh, conference room. Sure. It's, uh, yeah, there's a lot, of, a lot of really great stuff that goes on in that episode. And I, I, John Slattery directed it. Right. Uh, uh, it was the second episode I, w- I got to work on with him. And he is an incredibly talented director. Huh. And huh. Uh, I just had a great time working on it. And I loved the script. I loved everything about it. But I also think that I... I have a lot more love in my heart for Pete Campbell than many of our fans do. Uh-huh. And, uh, it, it wasn't as well received as I had hoped it would be, but uh, but I'm, I'm very proud of the work I put into it. I, I feel like it's a very, very pretty episode. It's very cinematic. Sure. It doesn't feel like a normal television show. It's some, there's a lot of very subtle storytelling in there. There's a lot of very just in-your-face storytelling in there uh and it's uh it's a great collection of a lot of stuff with a lot of great performances Mm -hmm. and uh and then and then the behind the scenes stuff personally i just had a lot of fun making it john's a a really talented guy and a lot of fun to work with
1: he seems like it i imagine as a you know it's 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 tempting to think of him being like roger sterling when he's cutting the episode i'm sure it wasn't exactly like that but he seems like a pretty fun guy
2: you know, it it wasn't like that, but I I will say there was one day where he came into the editing room in between scenes, and he was dressed as Roger Sterling. <laughs> yeah, and it, I I feel like it affected his behavior. Yeah, in the room. it has to, I, I right? Suddenly, felt like I was sitting there with Roger uh, as opposed to sitting there with John. We just fired was firing
1: off like, quips left and right, and
2: <laughs> yeah, and you know, just a little, uh, uh, yeah, a little, a little bit a uh, little bit quicker, not quite as uh, as. Uh, laid back or courteous yeah uh-huh. uh because john in real life is just a, a real sweetheart of a man he's a sure. great guy
1: yeah we love signal 30 because that that the, the scene where pete gets punched by lane price is just great and the build up yeah. to it like where pete's kind of like is anyone going to stop this and you know you could you kind of see like everybody's like eyebrow no hell no we kind of want to see this <laughs> and it also gave us the gift that never quit given the grimy little pimp I mean, yes,
2: grimy little pimp. Oh, Love that phrase.
1: So, so good. So good. Um, <laughs> are there now? Did you laugh when you first saw that footage? Did you actually laugh out loud a couple times when you just saw, like you, you know, some of the different takes and like the characters' expressions and the actual punch itself? Or is it just oh, absolutely okay.
2: Yeah, we had a lot of great footage for uh, for that whole sequence and you know jared harris was fantastic as lane price in there how many times Which, did vince by get, the way how many too, times did Vince get a punched a lot of physical pain when they shot that he oh had, really he injured his neck and uh so having to go do a sort of fist fight sequence was really hard for him and i don't think you can tell at all i mean he did such a great job the guy's such a pro
1: right uh how many times did vince get punched
2: <laughs> well, I don't think Vinny got got hit at all. By the way, uh, which makes me think of this. I, I want to take this opportunity to uh, really uh, brag on Vincent Carthizer and just how talented he is. Oh yeah, more, more than any other character in the show. Pete is a complete construction by the actor, as in a lot of char- Most characters usually have a little bit of the actor who portrays them in them. And Pete is a polar opposite from Vinny Kartheiser. I mean, he from his posture and, and uh, the just the uh, the baritone of his voice. Everything about Pete his is uh, manufactured. And, and Vinny is such a talented actor, and it it really kind of pains everyone involved with the show that he has not been nominated for an Emmy because he's just wonderful.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that I mean, that's the kind of the <laughs> it, it's kind of the crime of Mad Men is that. <laughs> for whatever reason you guys have always gone against breaking bad and it seems like break, you know, it's kind of like my That's deal true. with with the Patriots and the Colts. Like, uh, <laughs> always, all all you know, always the bridesmaid never to bride and you don't want to take anything away from the other show, but like, it's gotta be frustrating to, to, you know, put so much great stuff out and, and not, of course, I don't know. Cause Mike, my opinion, um, and I believe you've won an Emmy right for the suitcase. Uh-
2: I have not. No, I, oh. I was nominated a couple of times. Okay. I, I actually,
1: I, I thought, was it a, a, some kind of, was it some kind of screen guild thing? Cause I thought you did win something for that. Uh,
2: I, according to my IMDB page, I have won something that I've never heard of before. That okay. that's online television critics award. <laughs> um, oh yeah. I nominated
1: but, you for that. That's, that's what, it, <laughs> that's what it was. <laughs> uh, yeah.
2: I, I never even heard of that. And I just saw it on my, on my IMDB page. Uh, which I almost never look at, but I happened to look at it the other day and went, "Oh, hey, look at that! They say I won something."
1: Are you guys licking your chops this year because that asshole Vince Gilligan and Brian Cranson and goddamn Aaron Paul—they're like they were done last year. You're like, "All right, the table's set for us." Are you guys like super excited for Emmys this year?
2: Um, I, well, I think we are, but not really for that reason. I, I mean, <laughs> right. there was certainly no begrudgment no, for I know. towards Breaking Bad. I mean, look, before they came along, we had our you know a, a ton of. Uh, emmy wins and i mean we're what the third show in history to ever have four seasons in a row for best drama yeah so you know it's 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 hard uh to be too disgruntled when we've won a record setting amount of awards for a basic cable show
1: sure sure but it's tough but but yes we
2: are we are excited about uh, our opportunities for our swan song season uh,
1: uh let's see where i kind of lost my place where i'm at my notes here um are there so we talk about your favorite episodes? Are there any episodes that kind of to this day bug you? Like you felt like, oh, if I just had a little bit more time, or I didn't quite get the beat right, or maybe there's some flaw that may, that only you yourself see. But are there some that are kind of like uh, kind of make you wince a bit?
2: Well, I would say most episodes have one or two things in them that I I just wish I could have done a little differently, or or where uh, just as a you know, artistic point of view where my opinion was a little different than Matthews, but I had to make sure to get what he wanted in terms of his storytelling on the screen, and those are usually minor things. But there's most episodes have a couple little things like that. But um, there's only one episode that ever really stands out to me as, um, and I and I wouldn't say it's a it's a giant regret, but uh, one you mentioned er- earlier, Lady Lazarus. Um, which is a great episode and Mm -hmm. ends with the Beatles song. Right. uh, right. Which has its own fantastic story about how we got that Beatles song. Sure. Uh, That's not easy to do. It's super expensive, but there was also a a lot of great material in that episode that we had to kind of cut down in order to get it down to our necessary run times. One of the problems and also one of the advantages of television is that you only have a certain amount of time and you have sometimes have to, you know, kill your darlings in order to get, the best stuff, uh, on the screen. Um, but sometimes that's also a a benefit because you end up trimming some fat and actually getting down to the core of a story and just make it that much more powerful. Uh, it's, it's kind of like the, uh, the, the pluses and minuses of having a limited budget to make something, whereas it can, you know, stop you from being able to do something you want to do, but at the same time force you to be really creative in how you do it and come up with something new that you hadn't really considered beforehand. Um, And Lady Lazarus is one of those shows where I sure wish we had more time to put in some of the stuff we had to cut out. And it's not really scenes. I mean, we had a couple of small scenes that were cut out of that, but uh, it's mostly stuff within scenes, uh, scenes that were longer and really moving and powerful. And we just had to find a way to cut them down.
1: Did you ever make it onto the the set? It sounds like, you know, you worked really cl- more closer than I would have in, uh, anticipated. Did you actually get to sit on set? And if so, what kind of what, like what was the atmosphere like? Are there any funny stories that you can share with us?
2: Well, uh, I was on set fairly often actually. Uh, Mad Men is was an amazing experience um, because it, in in a certain respect because it was such a family atmosphere. The show was written, shot and cut all on one small uh, movie studio lot in downtown Los Angeles. Right. And we would have uh, a big cast and crew lunch all together every day. Uh, I mean, unless they were out on location. So, um, the editors and the writers and the cast and the crew, we all knew each other fairly well. Hmm. And it was, a, a really created a real family environment, which was great, especially when we have super long days and there's a lot of stress and a lot of pressure to get stuff done and, and do it at a particular level. Um, It's nice to feel like you're doing it with your family and not just a bunch of strangers. So, uh, um, and uh, my editing room was always right in between two of our sound stages on the lot. So I could, I was always literally thirty feet away from the set, and I could walk on there at any time if I needed a little piece of uh, audio. You know, if I if there was a place where the microphones didn't pick up a line, I could walk onto the set and tell the uh, the audio recorder hey, go grab that actor and get them to say this line, and he'd get that and put it on a thumb drive for me, and I could have it in my cut five minutes later. Um, And also, whenever we would do uh, insert shoots or go back to do reshoots for something that wasn't done quite as it needed to be done the first time, uh, Matt, Matt always wanted to have the editors on set for that to kind of work with the director and make sure that uh, his desires that uh, were, were being met because the editor is the person that sits in the room and gets to talk with Matt about how he really wants something to be played out because um, he can't be there on set for everything as it's getting shot. It's just impossible. He has too many responsibilities and too many other things to be doing, uh, oftentimes which are you know, writing the next episode that's about to start shooting right. and needs to get finished or, uh, or you know, working with a different editor um, uh, trying to get an episode done and out to the network so we can get it on the air. Uh, so I, I spent a decent amount of time on set and it was always a, a great set. Um, very professional. Um, everyone there was, like I said, it was such a family environment that everyone was very friendly. We all knew one another and I always felt welcome on set. And, um, uh, we had such a great cast and, uh, John Ham you know was uh such a, a leader for everyone on set and uh, oftentimes you know if if you have someone who's your your most important person around there and that person is, is uh professional but friendly that that you know that infects everyone else
1: mm-hmm what is? Because the other thing is about John Hamm is he's super funny. Like I,
2: oh, I think yeah. that he and did super smart. I mean, the guy uh, could sit down in the makeup chair at five in the morning and and memorize ten pages of dialogue just like that. i like like it's no problem. I mean, it's, I wouldn't say he's got a photographic memory, but I wouldn't be surprised to learn he does.
1: Do you have any particular like really funny story? Like, what's the funniest thing you can think of that happened on set?
2: Oh jeez, I don't know. Funniest thing. There's always great stuff. Um, you know, it, it, whenever there was a birthday, there was always, you know, a, a a some sort of celebration on set for somebody's birthday. And one year for John Ham's birthday, they brought in a cake shaped like a giant ham. Um, <laughs> and, and uh oftentimes it, the uh, you know, the uh the happy singing happy birthday to someone would just kind of come out of the middle of nowhere.
0: Uh-huh. You know, like
2: they planned for for John Slattery to be in the middle of the scene and turn around and just suddenly start singing happy birthday. And then all of a sudden the entire cast and crew are wandering onto the set and singing happy birthday. So it was always a fun surprise. Um, as far as a lot of really funny stuff happening on set. Um, I mean, it was, I wouldn't say it was a super loose set, but uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it's a professional environment. It's a lot of people working really hard and doing right. their jobs really well.
1: Did you get to keep any <laughs> souvenirs from the sets?
2: I have a handful of things, typically smaller stuff, you know, like uh, Harry Crane's mug or, oh, nice. um, uh, like one of the beer cans that Don was chugging and uh, when he was supposed to be building Sally's playhouse in the backyard, right. things like that. I've, I've got a, a lot of little stuff like that, like ashtrays that were on secretaries' desks or uh, one of the phones from a secretary's desk. There were a lot of things that uh, we we weren't allowed to take sure. when the show wrapped up because the Smithsonian wanted so much stuff, oh, yeah. and uh, and then there were a lot of other little things too that the uh, the network wanted to uh, auction because you know they could get a real pretty penny for certain things and be able to turn that around into uh, advertising and uh, box sets and all that stuff. It seems like a trend nowadays because I
1: remember looking. Uh... I remember talking to that guys, I've been able to talk to a lot of the actors that have been on Breaking Bad and uh, like Skinny Pete, uh, Charles Baker wanted to have Skinny Pete's hat and nope, that's going to go get auctioned. And like uh, I remember uh, Timmy the Oliphant, he's an executive producer and he, I think he wanted like a, a ring or something and it was being out. It's like even the executive producer can't get what he wants. So it's like, you know, what yeah, are you gonna do? It,
2: it happens that way. Uh, well, I mean, I, I really wanted Peggy's thermos, but mm. apparently they, they thought it was more important to give it to Elizabeth Moss.
1: Well, you know, what, <laughs> I swear, some did she big-timed you is what she did. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, what technology do you use editing Mad Men?
2: Oh, we cut on uh, whatever the latest uh, Avid editing software mm. is, and we have um, Macintosh computers, you know, just state-of-the-art stuff uh, in in the editing rooms.
1: What you know? I've heard that Mad Men transitioned from film stock to digital at some point in its life. And if you've been there for yeah. si- since season one, then you were part of that transition. Um, I'm really amazed at how old school, and I've always called it like Godfatherian in in, uh-huh. in, in the particular grain and the light and just the way it, it was shot. That they they were able to keep this with digital. Do you? Have yeah, a,
2: do that was a very conscious effort, and it was uh, it was in between seasons three and four mm-hmm. that we made the switch. Um, which was timely because in season four, they open up a new office. It's, you know, it's a very compared to their old office, the very futuristic looking things like they're stepping into the modern era. Mm -hmm. Um, and, but, but nevertheless, it was, it, it was something that Matt was hesitant to do because, uh, he really loved the look of film and the grain that you could have to it and was very hesitant to switch to digital. Uh, our cinematographer, Chris Manley, um, who was the cinematographer for most of the season? Did every episode for, from seasons two through all the way to the end?
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Really
2: talented guy. Also directed a couple of episodes. He found a uh, a way to shoot digitally that he thought would, could replicate that film look, and you know ran some tests and convinced Matt that it could be done and uh, there were a lot of th- a lot of advantages come of that um and certain disadvantages that's what I was uh, going to ask like what
1: kind of what's your preference between film and digital
2: right well i mean it depends on on uh, uh on if i want the most material that i can do the most with or if i want the easiest job uh with film Every single take is really important because film is so expensive, mm-hmm. right? But if, uh, when you're shooting digital, they just leave the camera running. They're like, hey, you know what? Let's just go back and do another take. Mm-hmm. And the amount of footage that the editor gets uh, doubled, tripled in some cases. you wow. right? used to be that uh, when you're shooting film, because it was so precious, you might only get a couple hours of footage every day. It's a self-limiting kind of feature, Exactly. And and for everyone involved. I mean, I, I read an interview with Keanu Reeves where he was talking about making that switch where once he knew that uh, the stock that they were shooting on wasn't so precious, he wasn't so worried about getting his first takes right because he knew he could just do it again and again and again. Mm-hmm. And there was no, you know, there's no uh, responsibility there. Um, so in that regard, Switching from film to digital means uh I have to do a lot more work because I have a lot more footage to go through. I go from getting a couple hours of footage every day to getting three to four hours of footage a day. And um it just makes it makes it that much harder. Uh, you know, I, I just have uh a lot more that I have to deal with and still am expected in the same time frame to have the same results. But there are also a lot of advantages. Um The uh, things you can do digitally, first of all, uh, you can shoot at night a lot easier than you can with film because it just picks up that much more uh, visual information. You can do a lot more with green screens because uh, that that can just be done to a better degree than it can with film stock. And um, there's a lot more you can do uh, with small visual effects, which we would do a lot in Mad Men. Once we started shooting digitally they would uh they would ask the directors to frame shots a little bit wider than they might really want them to be oh. so they have that leeway because with digital footage you can blow it up and it still looks beautiful and crisp and perfect uh so i could actually resize a shot reframe the way the way it is if i uh you know wanted a single on a particular character and they weren't able to shoot it they didn't have time If it's in film, I can only do so much with my two-shot to turn it into a one-person shot, Mm -hmm. whereas Mm -hmm. with digital footage, I can really blow it up and reframe it and maybe get a close-up or a single on a character that I didn't otherwise have. So there's a lot more I can do with the footage itself in terms of manipulating it um, when it's digital footage. And they did a great job. Chris Manley, RDP, was excellent in finding ways to light stuff for digital cameras so that it's still... Had that sort of film feel, and um, and then also when we processed our dailies, we would add a little bit of uh, a grain effect to it to kind of give it that film feel somewhat.
1: Well, you did a hell of a job because, like, I I actually when I was researching some of these questions, I just assumed it was all all film. I wasn't aware of because that switch happened before we started podcasting. Uh, the, the season right before we started podcasting, so I wasn't even aware of it, and I was just blown away that it was digital. I just couldn't believe it. So,
2: oh, that's great. <laughs> like Chris Manley, no,
1: yeah, no. Um, we got a couple like kind of wrap up questions. We also have some questions from the listener. Um, I'm going to get to those real quick. Uh, sure. Nick asked, did because I know you actually listened to our podcasts, which was blew me away when I when I got that email from you. Uh, in the week of the last podcast, I was like, wow. You know, me and Jim both like someone that actually, so someone important to actually listened to the podcast. That was just a, 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 a huge uh, boost for us that day. But Nick uh, asked Did Bald Moose podcast have anything to do with the writers deciding to put Pete in the LA tar pits, AKA the Pete Pit?
2: Well, while uh, that is a really fantastic coincidence, I don't believe that had anything to do uh, <laughs> with that. Uh, um, uh, first of all, I don't know that anyone ever told uh, told Matt about the Pete Pitt uh, <laughs> to begin with, but because he himself wouldn't really search out people talking about his show. And, I you imagine know, that's
1: poison the creative people. To him.
2: Yeah, but, uh, but uh, no, I don't think the Pete Pitt had anything to do with that. I think that actually has to do with... Uh, in Los Angeles, near the La Brea Tar Pits, there is this very old, very massive apartment complex uh, that was kind of the place where it was just an easy place to go mm. for people who were new to town.
1: You mentioned that in the original email that you had shared over the years with uh, Matthew Weiner some of the fan theories and points brought up on on the podcast. Do you have an impression that he had any particular favorites? Or are there any ones that he really that that really tickled him or that he had any like kind of aha moments on?
2: Well, you know, uh, I would be very selective uh, in, in what I would bring to him because he's a busy guy. I don't want to be too distracting. And I also, if it was a, some sort of conspiracy theory that was really, uh, really off the mark from where things were going. I I would hesitate to, to mention that to him because then he might worry that people weren't really understanding what he was trying to do.
0: Um,
2: but, uh, certainly the Sharon Tate thing with Megan, um, he found, I think amusing because that was never in any part of the discussion or the decision to come up with that shirt. That was just the, something, the, the the head of our wardrobe put on, uh, Jessica Paray that day. And, just happened to be in Sharon Tate's t-shirt. Um, there were some other things like uh, the theories that Pete was going to kill himself in season five, um, which the uh, rifle, never,
1: the rifle, Matt man, totally
2: understood that because Pete has such a strong sense of self and uh-huh. he, his, his response to that was, uh, you know, Pete would never kill himself. He, he, he thinks too much of himself to kill himself. Yeah. Um, one thing, one thing that Matt really loved, I think the the only thing I think I ever heard him ask about, unfortunately, was from somewhere else. This guy named Mark Lasanti, who writes for Grantland, sure, uh, had had this running thing where he would do uh, uh, power rankings. Yes, for the and in the in the power rankings every week he uh-huh. would do the John Draper finger bang threat
1: yes. level. Yes, yes, and that's that's great. Matt
2: found that endlessly entertaining.
1: Oh, I did too. Like some of the stuff that he would come up with you know, cause that's a shtick like that, that you can do for like three seasons is pretty amazing. And the, the places, the territory he covered with the finger bang threat level, uh, which if, if people don't get the reference, that's back to the whole Bobby Barrett days, you know, right. where, where he grabbed her cooch and, you know, exerted his, his influence on her. Um, yeah, that, that's, that's pretty incredible. Well, I'm glad he, he enjoyed that. Now, do you, do you think that in the final season he put some of the he was like put some winks or nods or even tweaks at some of the some of the theories because like you know there's all this theory about John or Don's going to jump off a, a, a building so the final episode he's you know on the cliffs of Big Sur. Uh, you know the whole DB Cooper theory about he's going to jump out of an airplane, and like the second or third episode, he's staring at this airplane float. You know, going through Manhattan was. I mean, I I wouldn't expect him to build a whole narrative around it, but do you think some of that stuff, like you know, mentions of the Manson murders, were kind of uh, him having fun with us?
2: I don't think the Manson murders were were that, and I and I have absolutely no no reason or or nothing to support this, but. I never really had the opportunity to talk talk to him about uh, Don walking into his new office at McCann and the window being loose. Ah,
1: yes, that's another uh, one. You know,
2: I I think that the you know the the fan of the show inside myself uh, likes to think that that was a nod to people wanting to know if he was going to jump out of it uh, at the end because sure. I, I mean Matt certainly never really put a lot of uh, credence into the idea that that the main title sequence represented anything other than just. Uh, you know, a trip through the world of advertising in New York. Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, I mean,
2: that, that's all that ever meant to him. It was never really someone jumping off of a building. Right. Um, so I like to think that that window thing was was Matt kind of fucking with people. But I have no, <laughs> nothing to support that. <laughs> he, he never he never actually said to me that that's what that was. Okay. And if okay. I asked him, he would probably have some other reason. Right.
1: Honestly. Uh, ben R, regarding the crash uh, episode you looked at, uh, worked on, he said, "I loved." Oh. Your editing work on the experimental and controversial episode, The Crash from Season 6. Regarding that episode, was it stated in the script? And if not, do you have your own theory of Don's whereabouts during his lost weekend? He wonders, did Don spend all day in the hallway just before walking to his office and seeing Wendy Gleason? When Wendy says he was going to get some ice and they'd watch the sunset, what happened there? Do you think maybe he was hitting on her while hallucinating her to be Amy the Prostitute? Was Don creeping at Sylvia's back door while Grandma Ida was visiting his apartment upstairs? Very interested in your take on Don's journey while on speed.
2: Okay, well, um, you know, The Crash is probably my second favorite episode that I had the chance to work on uh, for a lot of reasons. I mean, it was just a ton of fun to work on. Sure. Uh, Director of the episode, Mike Uppendahl, is just an incredibly talented director Mm -hmm. and, uh, and and a great guy. I love working with him. Um, in fact'm i 'm going to have the opportunity to work with him again on my current show very soon and um uh John Hamm did such an amazing job in that episode and this is something that no one will ever know unless I tell them about it uh in every scene after Don got shot up with amphetamines um the director and the lead Mike and John would do different takes. In every single setup uh, for every scene, that uh, ran the gamut of just how messed up on speed Don was. So the first take, he'd be fairly normal. He wouldn't be too beyond what he normally is. The next take, he'd be a little amped,
0: uh-huh. and then
2: the next take, he would, you know, really be kind of frantic. And then they do another take. Where- they'd come in and they'd put sweat all over his brow and kind of make his face a little flushed and, and just really let him be off the wall uh, high on speed and so um, whenever uh, I started working with Matthew I had a lot of leeway in just how crazy things got in each scene yeah, it's like she's believe, believe me there was a version of that episode that was even more off the wall <laughs> and, and just more lunatic and uh, uh, there was also a version of that episode that was almost normal so there was a a lot of leeway and that that's a a credit to the actor and the director and um and uh it it gave matthew and myself a lot of different stuff to work with so in that respect it was a very a very unique episode and it was a lot of fun Uh, and everyone i got to work with on that one i just had a great time working with and it went you know, it went fairly smoothly and quickly for a Mad Men episode um, in those terms. I mean, we got got it finished pretty quickly. And we got to watch Aaron Staten tap dance. And there uh, that was just so much fun going, going on in that episode. I really loved it. So much fun, uh, yeah. As far as the questions of Don's lost time, um, you know, that was part of what we all loved about the script is stuff is, was just weird and time was jumping mm-hmm. around we weren't all that concerned about what was going on in between the moments uh, on screen. Those were the moments that we were really concerned about. And uh, Don walks down a hallway and gets to the end of it. And it's a whole nother day. We didn't worry too much about what was going on. It was, we were worried about telling Don's experience and Don's experience was that there wasn't anything going on in between those moments. And
1: it's a great way to put us, the viewer in that same spot. Like what the hell just happened well, yeah. Don doesn't know, so why should we?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and that's, uh, you know, the, it, it creates that that feeling, that tension that we wanted the audience to have while they were watching it. So, uh, uh, yeah, we were very excited about how it all came out.
1: Uh, Christopher J had another question <laughs> regarding cra- Crash. He said, at a certain point, it appears that frames have been spliced out of, some, or, uh, out of each scene to give the feel of speeding up without actually anyone moving faster. I don't know how else to explain it, but you really noticed this in the lounge where everyone is hanging out. Am I right? Or maybe I'm just on speed. Did you guys do any kind <laughs> of uh, other cinematic tricks to make us feel that uh, disjointed?
2: Yeah, well, he's, he's both right and wrong there. Um, it was not because of lifting any frames in that, in that scene. And I know what he's talking about. It was uh, something that the director and the cinematographer did in camera, where mm. there's a, a the shutter on the camera can be um, tilted, it can be put at a different angle, and when you do that, it affects the way that the light comes in, and it gives it an almost stroby feel. Uh, certain movies that are big action films will have battle sequences that kind of feel like this, right. and it's accomplished right. with an in-camera effect. And uh, uh, Mike Uppendahl wanted to give the feeling of um, this is sort of how the people that are on the amphetamines are perceiving the world as though it's a little sp- sped up it's a little just hyper uh, uh, normal as opposed to just a regular uh, experience and so he did that in that scene with a very specific purpose so it, that is an in camera effect it's not anything we did in the editing room actually
1: very cool very cool uh jason in a message or a question said my question is probably trivial i saw it on reddit that one of the crew members appeared in the bye bye birdie spoof video uh, was the same person who jumped out of the cake in Season 7, Episode 13, The Milk and Honey Root. If Mr. Wilson knows anything about this, can he share the story? I just found it super cute in a way I don't usually associate with the wiener. Um, <laughs> so you, you know what he's referring to. I guess the background story between is like, it, I, I guess it's a rap type of thing for Season 3 that all the cast and crew pr- produced uh, a sing-along version of the Bye Bye Birdie. And uh-huh. this this lady in question was wearing like a placard that says, "Please, Matt, can I jump out of a cake next season?" And then it actually happened. Finally, at the, the tail end of season seven, can you talk about it, a little bit about how how that came to pass, or why? Yeah, it took that was four really weird. The... Nobody
2: knows who that woman is. She just kind of showed up. No, I'm kidding. Oh. Uh, that was uh, uh, that's Marcy Patterson. She's one of the producers on the show, um, and she's she sort of uh, she was sort of the right hand. Uh, person for Matt's producing partner, Scott Hornbacher. Mm. Um, uh, And so Marcy was involved in every aspect of the show. I mean, every concept meeting, every tone meeting, uh, she was involved in location scouting and even involved in making sure that the parties we threw uh, for the cast and crew of which there were many on Mad Men and still are crazily. Um, She she was always involved in making sure that those got planned properly, and wait, wait, I mean, she was you, just you said you know, still fingers are fingers in in every aspect of Mad Men life in general. So she's a, a one of those central producers on the show, and yes, that is also her in uh, in episode seven thirteen jumping out of the cake, and uh, it was something she finally had the opportunity to do. Not only that, but she was also the person that put together that Bye Bye Birdie spoof video. Huh.
1: So you, you, did, did I hear you right that they're still doing cast and crew parties even now?
2: Yes, yeah. They're uh, they've always been very good about doing parties on Mad Men, and they're typically black tie affair things, um, uh, very much like the you know typical uh, co- concept of a, what's a giant Hollywood party. Sure, we actually do that with Mad Men, um, and we probably are going to have at least two more this whenever. Emmy nominations. I figured the Emmys would be. Yeah. Yeah. And the Emmys themselves, we, we go and we have a giant party after the Emmys, whether we win or not. Um, so there's probably still a couple more of those to come.
1: Well, that's very cool. Uh, Sean B said, was there a room with strings and notes everywhere? Kind of beautiful mind style connecting all the different story threads, or is a lot less interesting than that? Like basically what was Matthew's process as far as keeping the plot? Like what did Uh, the writer's room look like?
2: Right, yeah. Well, the, the the big board in the writers' room was was all, always certainly an amazing thing. I wouldn't call it beautiful mind style, but uh, um, definitely an impressive board to like, kind of map was it, out was it like uh, crazy characters' was it, arcs throughout the season. Yeah, and also the writers' room was, had a board that was filled with just kind of research material and reference material. So um, it, it was certainly impressive, and the kind of thing where a fan could go in and you know. Uh, really enjoy staring at for a few hours, but I don't know that I would say it was a, a super intricate, beautiful mind type of thing.
1: Not not crazy, <laughs> Carrie, from Homeland style, either. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Not like that.
1: Uh, Shep, uh, who is also a, vi- a video editor, says, as a fellow video editor, often our greatest achievements are turning chicken shit into chicken salad. What was your greatest challenge as far as having so much great material that even the leanest cuts ended up on the cutting room floor with all the fat. I'm thinking you – it sounds like you're saying uh, that would be the uh, Lady Lazarus, right?
2: Uh, yeah, at times. I, I mean, those those sound kind of like two separate questions to me. Uh, okay. The chicken salad – or chicken shit into chicken salad is a pretty common term uh, around people who do what I do, uh, and that is definitely a challenge. Um, um, even – and you know that's that's a phrase that's used it's not always chicken shit sometimes it's just stuff that's different than than uh than what Matthew would want it to be but um i mean that was certainly a challenge in terms of getting doing my job of being asked to make a scene uh do a particular thing or typically with Matthew it was i want this scene to make me feel like this um and he wouldn't really give me a lot of specifics about what he wanted to see it was more about what he wanted to feel
0: yeah.
2: Yeah. um so uh that that was always definitely the biggest challenge of my job it was I, I i'm not sure how to manipulate this footage in a way to make him feel that way you know but i've got to get it figured out because that's what they pay me for um so the, definitely that was the biggest challenge but um you know having a lot of great material and having to cut it down in order to get it down to the required runtime was tough and lady lazarus um I, and look that's that was almost every single episode uh having to cut things down but Lady Lazarus is the only one for me personally, and when I go back and watch it, I feel like I miss certain things that had to be taken out, or that I feel like certain things that I wish could take more time had to go a little bit faster than I wanted them to yeah. but i mean that's that's one episode out of twenty five and uh and that was just an unfortunate side effect but um uh we never really deleted a lot of whole scenes. Typically we would just cut the scenes down, how you know, how much of the dialogue in the scene and can we cut out. And Madman Dean uh being the way it was, if there was a line of exposition in there, um we would often try to lift that out, you know, because uh, like I said before, it's not a show about things happening, it's a thing, it's a show about people reacting to what happens. So, um we don't need someone walking in and giving us the the who, what, where when information we just need to know how they feel about things
1: so you said there's not a whole lot of actual scenes cut because that was another question he had is like is there going to be like some you know like breaking bad had the the barrel edition is there going to be like the uh canadian club whiskey bottle edition of mm. of, of Mad Men that has like a whole bunch of delete like when you started talking about the crash all i want to see now is the fear and loathing cut of the crash <laughs> I I would pay, I, I would pay about three months salary to see that cut. Is, is that stuff floating around? Is it, do we, can no. we look for, no, really?
2: No, that, that, that stuff does not float around. And uh, that's, you know, the, the, I don't the, mean,
1: I don't mean float around. I mean, like, it, of the
2: crash, We're all, all part of, we're all, we're all steps towards getting it to its finished product. Oh, okay. And that was uh, um, not something that's going to be floating around and rarely were scenes lifted And typically, if a scene was cut out, it was something small, you know, like a scene that's cut out in Lady Lazarus is Megan sitting on the sofa at night thinking about telling Don that she wants to quit the job Mm -hmm. at the agency. Um, And so that ended up getting cut out for time. And instead, she just walks into the bedroom and wakes him up and tells him that she wants to to leave. And, you know, it was a beautiful little scene, but it was just a single shot of her sitting there making a decision and so it unfortunately couldn't couldn't stay in but in terms of, of scenes with real content uh, and things that that really told a story almost never really were they cut Now so, matt was excellent at kind of figuring out a way to keep things in and just get to the core of what was important in a scene uh, so that it could stay in because they were all really important i mean he put a ton of work into the script itself and every scene in there had a real purpose and he was really good at figuring out ways to, uh, keep what was most important about a scene in there. And, um, the only scene I can really, and I'm sure there were a few, but the only scene that I really remember being lifted wholesale, uh, was a scene at the, uh, end of, uh, the season finale for episode season four finale when, uh, they're returning from Disneyland with the kids. There's a scene in the car with Don and Megan and the kids in the back seat that we had to pull out of that episode. And Matt always hated the fact that we had to pull that out. And in the following season, um, in I think it was episode 506, um, the episode that's kind of broken up into three separate stories and Don and Megan go to Howard Johnson's and, have a big argument and he's driving off by himself and he has a flashback of you know a nice time that he was in the car with megan they inserted that scene there as a flashback in the following scene oh. season so you know very rarely were scenes lifted uh out of a out of a show and the one that i can really remember was one that just always you know always ate away at matt he loved the scene he hated to have to cut it out and so he found a way to brought it back, bring it back
1: so if we're holding our breath waiting for like hours of deleted footage and a bonus DVD, we're going to turn blue.
2: Yes, you are. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's not going to happen. Uh that the show is done, it's complete and we're all very proud of the the final products, but uh they they are the final products.
1: All right, uh, a couple wrap up questions. You have a favorite season? Anyone that stands st- your personal favorite?
2: Look, I love them all. Um but it just as a viewer, and recently my wife and I went back and watched all of the seasons, again, leading up to um, the, the final half season premiering, uh-huh. uh, uh, I, for, for me, season four was a really special season and really stood out. There was the new office, there were right. you know new direction in Don's life, uh, I personally was involved in a lot of the episodes that season, and some of my favorite moments come out of that season. So uh, for for me that that was that that's one that probably stands out as my favorite. But uh, that's you know that, that's that's a tough call because I love them all.
1: Yeah, that's that's one of the the core things I'm trying to figure out as we go through this retrospective season by season thing that we're going to be doing once a month and from here until the beginning of New Year is like what is my favorite season? If I had to rank them all, it's that's that's one of the goals I'm, I've got for it. Uh, favorite episode. Not necessarily uh, one that you worked on, although it could be. I mean, that's <laughs> well.
2: Uh, I mean, Signal Thirty and the Crash are, are great episodes. Uh-huh. I'm also one that has always stood out to me that I did a little bit of work on, but it wasn't. I wasn't primarily involved, in it was uh, it, the Jet Set uh, episode two eleven. It's the first time that Don travels to California mm. and towards the end of the second season, he goes there with Pete, and they're meeting. Right. Uh, and he just ditches uh, Pete, right? Yeah, yeah, and he ditches Pete by the pool, which is also a great moment when Pete's sitting there, uncomfortable with clients, waiting for Don to show up. Um, and and story-wise, for Pete, it's it's sort of a big deal because he's kind of forced to uh, forced to grow up a little bit Spreads and get better at his fly, job because yeah. Don just sort of abandons abandons him there, and he goes off with the uh, the crazy European guys sure. and. Sure. Uh, um, something about that episode has always really stuck with me so I, I suppose that's one of my favorites but again I mean they're all my favorites in some some way.
1: Uh, favorite moment do you have one like particular quintessential Mad Men moment?
2: Man um, That's a tough one That's a really tough one because I, you know I have favorite moments in each episode in each season it depends what kind of moment you know there's uh, great comedy moments sure. like like duck trying to take a shit on Roger's chair, <laughs> or uh, um, uh, you know, Ginsburg with his nipple. Oh yeah, uh, and uh, um, the death of uh, Miss Blankenship. Sure, absolutely one of my favorite moments in the entire series. While there's a, a meeting going on in the conference room, and Don's trying to dis- distract the clients so they don't turn around and see the the dead lady behind yeah, them, and uh-huh. and, uh, and everyone else is trying to sneak him out, and they use the the blanket from Harry's office to cover her up, and. Uh, <laughs> uh i i love that but then uh you know beyond the really funny moments there are some great dramatic moments like uh Peggy telling Pete about the baby at the end of season 2 uh and also again Peggy and Pete in season 4 um episode 4 uh where um Ma- Peggy has made friends with uh you know her new bohemian people who work at Time Life upstairs and Pete is now, you know, uh, very ensconced in the accounting side of things and he's dealing with all these old businessmen and at the end of the episode Peggy's getting on the elevator with all of her young new friends and Pete's standing in the lobby with all these old businessmen and through the glass doors they share this moment and this little uh this little exchange this little look and this little smile and um there's something just super moving and endearing about it. And it was actually the first time where um, I felt super proud of Pete. Like, oh my God, look at you, Pete, you've grown up. And, and I think it's because Peggy seemed to acknowledge him in a way that was warm and, and real. And as a, as a viewer, I mean, even as someone who was assembling the scene and putting it together, uh, I, I was still feeling sort of proud of Pete and like, oh, look at him. He's really growing up and he's really kind of starting to get his own shit figured out. And if Peggy can forgive him, you know, why can't I? And so that was a really great moment for me. It's always stuck with me. Uh, Of course, there's the lawnmower uh, cutting off the guy's foot. Sure, sure. Uh, Always love that. And Ginsburg with his nipple um
1: i i just got it i i threw up in my mouth a little bit with all this pete praise uh it, it's taken me a bit to recover uh but <laughs> uh no, yeah no you're a big pete fan i gotta i'm gonna have to keep my eye on you it's that's uh recontextualizing everything that uh has come before <laughs> Yeah, uh, it, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't hate Pete here. the way
2: that a lot of people do, but you know, um, I don't, I don't, maybe it, maybe it's because I know Vinny.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I don't – I mean, psh, I've said enough about this on the podcast. I don't exactly hate Pete, uh, or to the extent that I do, it's a fun kind of – like I, I'm i actually surprised they don't hate him more with some of the stuff that he's pulled over the years. But, uh, you know, especially in the later years when he's gotten <clears> older and and I don't know. I feel like the comedy has been a lot – them poking fun at Pete is what is his saving grace for me because it seems like that he gets like, whether he's busting his ass on the stairs or he's getting punched out or like his hairline keeps receding or he <laughs> wears a funny tennis outfit. There's always something that kind of brings him down to earth and humanizes him. Yeah. Uh, and I mean,
2: there, there's always some reason to kind of feel sorry for the guy. I mean, yeah. he brings it on himself, but sure. uh you know, and, and again, Talk about Vinny, a real sport, letting them continue to shave his hairline back uh, over the years and make him look bald on, on a national television show.
1: Yeah, he, and he's really funny, too. I just saw him uh, on Amy Schumer, I think, about three weeks ago. They did this black and white 12 Angry Men inside Amy Schumer. Uh, yeah, I saw
2: the commercial for that. I keep waiting to look at the episode.
1: He's one of the jurors trying to decide whether she's uh, hot enough to be on television, and he does a hell of a job. Uh, uh, he 's He manages to get a reasonable chub, and it 's really <laughs> really funny so yeah I, he, he seems like a cool dude well i just can 't thank you enough for taking the time out of your weekend to uh to have a chat with us um you know you've you 've helped helped bring about the creation of a show that has given me so much joy it 's my favorite show on television of all time, and I appreciate well, that and all the hard work you guys put into it.
2: Well, thank you. And I mean, look, I, you guys have been creating a show that uh, myself and my wife have really enjoyed for years. And we loved listening to the Mad Men Happy Hour. So, you know, it's it's great that we live in the world we do today where uh, we can have this kind of back and forth content creation kind of relationship. Yeah. Where, yeah. You know, we, we can, one, one person can make something and another person can make something in response. And we, we both get a chance to look at it. So thank you for doing it and uh, taking some time to talk with me. Although, while I have you here, there are a couple things I heard in some of your last uh, episodes that I just wanted to help clear up for you. Okay. Um, first of all, uh, uh, when Don goes to the uh, the VA to hang out with all those old veterans in the in the uh, second-to-last episode before the finale. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and one of the old World War II vets talks about uh, coming across German soldiers and taking them prisoner uh, in the forest during World War II. And there were a lot of questions about whether or not uh, the germans
1: he, he ate. ate the germans soldiers. he ate yes, yes
2: yes, yes, there was no cannibalism going on there the The gist behind that was that uh executing p o w s was a terrible war crime, sure. and the mention of them all being starving was uh, about them not having the resources to feed prisoners and and keep them alive, so rather than just tie them up and let them let them starve to death, they executed them and the fact that they executed the, their prisoners was a terrible crime that the guy was ashamed of. And that's what he was confessing to during that scene. There was, there was no cannibalism going on there. And <laughs> wow, uh, So we, it we, also, the rare case, uh,
1: we took it darker than it was intended. Wow. Okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah. We, and completely understandable. Cause I remember watching that and thinking, wait a minute, I don't remember Matt talking about any cannibalism going on here. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it, it was de- definitely confusing. Uh Um, and, and then also, uh, um, in the finale, Don opens up driving around on the salt flats. Yeah. And you guys talked a lot about, uh, um, you had the impression that Don was out there trying to set a land speed record. Uh And, uh, that, that is not actually what he was doing out there. The, uh, the guys that he was hanging out with were just stopping off at the salt flats. They were on their way to California and Don was hitching a ride with them. And um, they were uh, going out to California to race cars. That that was just their their stock car. They were taking out to to enter into races. So
1: it's just a convenient proving ground. They were, they ground
2: were just for out there testing it. And Don had been hanging out at the Salt Flats, and he was there to witness that car that set the land speed record uh which he talks to sally about it looked like a jet um and
1: i knew knew those guys didn't set that land speed record but i wasn't because because you know the bonneville they they have like a land speed record for damn near everything like yes
2: exactly and that's that's where people who race you know go to test out their machines but those guys were not trying to uh, set a record with that car they were just hoping to get it in good shape and take it out to race it in california
1: all right all right well thanks for setting it straight there uh also, thank your wife for the assist on the Blankenship. I, I appreciate that. Uh, <laughs> oh, and- oh, yeah.
2: She, she's uh, <laughs> been my partner through uh, the entire run of the seas- series, and uh, she's a great writer in her own respect, so uh, uh, she's uh, a great resource and uh, always helps me work through things and has, has been you know, part of making the show right along with me.
1: All right, so last thing, uh, talk about your next upcoming projects. I know you mentioned the Mr. Wright.
2: was it? Yeah, it's called Mr. Wright with Anna Kendrick and Sam Rockwell and Tim Roth. That's a nice, light, romantic comedy. Like
1: all those people.
2: Uh-huh. And, uh, and currently I'm, I'm working on uh, the second season of Manhattan for uh, WGN, which is uh, another great show with the very talented people running that and writing it.
1: All right, well again I can't thank you enough, Tom, Tom Wilson, uh for sitting down and talking to us and uh uh maybe maybe we'll have a chance to chat again. Maybe uh we'll 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 uh, uh our coverage and and your work will will cross again one day.
2: Yeah, who knows, maybe I'll accidentally stumble onto another great television show.
1: That that would that, man, I tell you what. That uh Madmen's the 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 it's, it's got to feel like one of those special opportunities of a lifetime. And if you got if you got two of them, it's like you start feeling guilty about it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
2: it really was. In fact, you know, I mean, I, I had no idea what Mad Men was when I took the job. I was finishing one job and had an opportunity to, you know, someone offered me another job and I just jumped onto that. It wasn't until we really got into it before I started realizing just how great the show was and how good it was going to be. And uh, I even while working on it on the first season, I was trying to leave it. I, it's people I was working with were going to make the Pacific with H on for HBO, and I was really hoping to go with them, mm-hmm. and wasn't able to go. I ended up having having to stay on Mad Men, and it ended up being the greatest thing that could have happened to me.
1: Man, if you got on Pacific, you could have done dealt with the problems of uh, cannibalism in the Pacific theater. I mean, yeah, exactly. Bust that, that I could, I wide open. I could have set a
2: swamp uh, in Australia for a year and, and <laughs> then my ass off. And yeah. Instead, I got to stay in Los Angeles and work in a nice air-conditioned room, making a, a great show.
1: Not, not a bad way to make a living.
2: Yeah, no kidding.
1: All right, well, I'll I'll let you get uh, get back to uh, uh, hanging out with your wife. And again, I, I can't thank you enough for uh, sitting down and talking with us and the fans.
2: Hey, thanks, Aaron. That was a lot of fun.